Welcome to the fifth of the analytics podcasts on investment skill. As with the others, I'm joined with Tim Hartness, the well-known data scientist and sports psychologist. And in this episode, we're going to be focusing on the pressure that comes from bad news. In previous episodes, we've talked about the importance of focusing and using data to stay focused. But we all know in life, there are times when things just don't go as planned and pressure builds up. Welcome, Tim. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. In our world, um, bad news very often is associated with um, a period of poor performance. Nobody wants the bad news that they're doing badly. You know, after all, mm. this podcast is about the elite, and the elite mm. certainly don't like to fail and or perceive to be failing. I think that one of the the greatest sources of pressure that comes from bad news is actually a period of underperformance. What I'll say about that is that the first thing that we have to do is understand what this bad news really is. And there can be a tendency to catastrophize, that we can suddenly think, my world is over, my, my life is over, that this is, this is everything, it's always, and it's all about me. Where the first thing we actually have to do is, for sure, this is bad news, but we have to see it for what it really is. And I think that's right. And getting it into proportion and seeing it for what it is is absolutely critical. I mean, in our world of, of you know, which is a very performance orientated world, mm. there is there is just no question that performance comes and goes. Nobody wins right. forever, and yeah. that 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 ability to see a period of poor performance for what it is, which is that things have just turned down. It doesn't mean that you're no longer skillful. It doesn't mean that you're no longer relevant or good at your job. It's just that every now and again, things go the wrong way. And I see, seeing this manifest itself in a, in a range of things. I mean, um, I've seen turnover, the, you know, the level of activity rise considerably as people try and get this performance in inverted commas back. Or, you know, much worse, it can affect people's sense of well-being and self-worth, actually. And that's when it starts to get serious, when it starts to affect people's sense of of their own professionalism and their role in life. And presumably yeah. you see this in your world in sport as well, when if someone's maybe had an injury or, or, or not getting picked or something and that, you know, that... that that it has a disproportionate effect on their sense of, of self-worth and well-being. Yeah. I, I think the thing with professional athletes is that they, they compete often. Um, so they do a lot of winning and a lot of losing also. And I, I think the thing for, for many professional athletes, particularly those who operate in teams, is they win and lose together. So while for sure they operate in a pressurized environment, there actually are some some support mechanisms to help them deal with these really tough situations. One of the things I've learned from the world of sport about coping with bad news is I've walked into a dressing room after a team have lost, and I've seen grown men in tears. But the interesting thing is that five or ten minutes after that loss, they're already starting to recover emotionally. And I think as an athlete, you experience a lot of success, and you experience a lot of failure as well. And that means that you learn how to deal with it. And you learn exactly as you're saying, Rick, 
you learn that these things are not forever. A win is not forever. A loss is not forever as well. And the other thing often in the world of sport is that you don't win and lose alone. You win and lose with other people. I think, once again, when you have that support, you know that this is not just all about you. It's not a, this win or this loss is not a comment on your worth and it's not a comment on your skill. I think when you can contextualize a loss or contextualize bad news, that's really the first step to responding to it. And, you know, Rick, we've spoken time and again about context. And for me, that is the first step of bad news. Put it into context. So the point that you make there, which is it's all about me or not, in the case of the people who recover, is that unfortunately that's the nub of the issue for fund manage- for some fund managers, not all, but in the, yes. the in the in the minority of cases where it causes a problem, is that they see yes. the performance in personal terms, and the reason why is because is of course because. They're courted and fated. The press are all over them. The clients love them. Management love them because they're a big source of revenue and a big source of the brand. And when performance goes um, or dips, goes is too strong. But when it dips, they think, mm. my goodness, you know, all this, all this, all these accolades and adoration that I'm experiencing is going to suddenly disappear. And that they lose yeah. proportion, they lose a sense of proportion that that actually it will come back, and that the world is not going to cave in around them, and that's yeah. and it's the the world caving in around them that's that's the real concern because then it manifests itself in very peculiar ways, such as people start increasing their level of activity, which in our world is called turnover, or yes. that you know they start changing their strategy or you know or just behaving more erratically but i think the point and and that that is a critical point because you know uh, there are two things going on here the the one is that you receive the bad news and that affects you emotionally and that's something obviously none of us want to experience unnecessary negative emotions so you want to be protected and you want to be able to protect yourself from the negative emotional impact of bad news. I think part of that is the context that you can't hide from this bad news. So it's not just a case of, oh, everything's going to be fine. It's also, though, not a case of this is a complete disaster. It's somewhere in between. And the Nobel laureate uh, psychologist Daniel Kahneman said that, as a general rule, nothing in life is as much of a big deal as it seems at the moment that you're thinking about it. Because when you're thinking about one thing, you're not thinking about all the other things in life that are relevant to you and affect your well-being. That's quite a nice rule to remember when you feel like you've received some news that is particularly dramatic. But as you say, Rick, your emotional response to the bad news is only part of the story. The other part of the story is your behavioral response to the bad news. And if you're not having an adaptive behavioral response to the bad news, then you're making things worse. That's when things start to escalate. You know, it reminds me of one of our very early um, conversations we were having, and you were describing this situation. And, and I thought, you know, that it was absolutely spot on. There's a set of blinkers, you know, the sort of horse race, you know, the horse blinkers. And, yeah. and that... that you know, as the problem escalates and their emotional response to it escalates, 
the blinkers just close in and in and get closer and closer together and you get finished up with this tunnel vision and all you see is the problem. And I just thought that was just a great way of thinking about it. You just finish up with this sense of this tunnel vision, as you say, with these blinkers, which do nothing else other than focus you on the problem. And you don't see the context. You don't see the problem in any sort of context, you know, whether the context is your life in general or the, or the history and the success that you've had in the past. These are all really professionally, exactly. These are all really important things, which give you that sense of perspective. And critically, and this is why it's such an important topic, is that as these blinkers close in, your ability to deal with it also diminishes. So your your field of vision diminishes along with your ability to deal with a problem. Yes, and depending that's... on the problem. Okay, okay. Yeah. Because the thing is, this this tunnel vision under some circumstances is adaptive. So if you're having a picnic and everything's great, and a wasp starts coming for you, you will get tunnel vision on that wasp. <laughs> and that is appropriate. Because at that moment, you shouldn't be sitting there thinking, what a lovely day. And you know, this, this cream's gone is just, you know, the best I've had all week. You should be thinking about that wasp. But in other situations, it's maladaptive to have that tunnel vision. And I had a real life experience of that. I, I drove in a Formula One simulator. I went to Silverstone and I, I worked with a driving coach just out of interest. And he put an eye tracking device on me. What he was able to show is that when I was going around a corner and the speeds were high in the simulator, I literally got tunnel vision. He could show that I literally stopped looking around. I stopped looking into the distance. I stopped looking at the peripheries and I focused only on a very small section of track right in front of me. And what that meant is that I lost out on crucial information that was going to help me make judgments about what I needed to do. In those circumstances, this tunnel vision is not adaptive. And the problem is that it tends to be a blanket response to pressure or to bad news, that we almost always go to tunnel vision. So we've got to teach ourselves when it's appropriate, but in the majority of cases, um, actually we've overdone it and we need to pull out of that and restore our broad vision. You see, I have exactly the opposite experience of being in a simulator. Right. Where, where I, I um, had the opportunity to, it was a, a, an airline okay. and, um, okay. and, the, and they set it up and, and they said, well, wh- where would you like to fly to? I said, Rio. Wouldn't it be great to fly to Rio? Who wouldn't want to fly to Rio? <laughs> exactly. And um, so, we were, so we're approaching Rio. And of course, all I was doing, I was looking out the window. I was looking at Sugar Mountain. I was okay, seeing whether I could see okay, that. And right. of course, Brilliant. You know, and of course, I did not have the tunnel, the sense of tunnel vision. Okay. Which meant yes. that I'd completely forgotten about the runway. And needless to say, we crashed. But I do think, Rick, that talks to this notion of that we do need to control our focus and we need to control the context and your focus can be too broad and it can be too narrow. What does tend to happen in bad news, because there would have been a moment, bad news happens sometimes randomly, but sometimes bad news happens for a reason. In your case, the reason why you crashed was because your focus was incorrect, that it was too broad. So it wasn't just bad luck that you crashed that aeroplane. You know, it, it happened because you weren't attending to the right things. And sometimes when we have bad news, it is simply because of events outside of our control. 
So I think we've both had the experience of talking to clients over the period of Brexit. Uh, you've certainly had uh, periods of working with clients um, historically over periods of economic crashes where people have been overtaken by events that are outside of their control. And then it's important to really contextualize that bad news and understand that often the reason why this happened is not your fault. And this is not a comment on you. It's not a comment on your words. And it's not a comment on your skills. But there are other times when bad things happen, which while they may not be all because of us, are partly because of us. And in those situations, we actually have got something to learn. So that is where we we need to be able to sometimes focus just on something quite narrow, but other times we need to have a slightly broader focus and take in more information. While we're talking about the negative emotional effects of bad news, negative emotion tends to narrowly focus, focus us. So when we experience, and it's not an emotion, but when we experience pain, for example, we think about the single part of our body that is producing the pain. And anyone who's got, uh, you know, who's had toothache, for example, will know the experience of being totally, totally focused on a very precise part of their own body. On the other hand, when we have positive emotions, the function of positive emotions is to broaden us, is to open our eyes, to make us more creative, more receptive. So when you experience the emotion of awe, for example, which is a positive emotion, it makes us open to taking in lots of information. You know, we experience awe when we're listening to a, a piece of music, when we're looking at a work of art, when we're in a, a beautiful place like a cathedral or a forest or, or looking at a, a sunset. We broaden our perspective. And I think the problem with bad news is that it makes us negative and it makes us narrow. And sometimes we need to deliberately look for the positives, even in the face of bad news, because that will broaden our perspective. And sometimes that's what we need to get us out of the problem. Bad news is almost invariably a part in a professional sense, in terms yeah. of a period of poor performance. And, yes. and that the steps that you just outlined there are absolutely critical to get through it. Because as you say, there are times when it's got nothing to do with you and that, that market leadership changes, some some external event causes le what we call leadership in, 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 in to change and the returns move elsewhere and the, the tide flows in another direction. Being able to stay focused and to understand the context of this poor performance as to whether it is something that you've done yourself or whether it's something that's external is absolutely critical. I mean, we've seen, yeah. so so just to put some, some flesh on that, is that and give some examples of both when it's external, as you say, you know, when there's an external shot, whether it's economic or political, but also the fact that, that there are times when certain sectors are doing well or certain types of stocks are doing well and others are doing badly and you ride that wave and then suddenly, for whatever reason, it just changes. And mm. you've then got to decide, well, what do I do now? Do I just continue with what I was doing before or do I adapt to the situation? On the other side, where there are situations where poor performance was caused by, say, you know, a bad decision, you know, we've seen situations where um performance you know which had been absolutely wonderful you know spectacular yeah. even 
and then suddenly it drops away and and you're looking at it and you think well you know what's changed and the fund manager yeah. is thinking you know have i lost it and then yes. it just turns out that it might have only been what in you know in one case it was just a single bad decision and actually in 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 that specific instance what we did was we we sort of pretended it didn't happen and we yeah. we we analyzed the portfolio excluding that decision i was able to show them yes. that that if it, it was just a one off it was whether it's bad yeah. luck bad judgment it really doesn't matter it doesn't matter yes. whether it was bad luck or ju- bad judgment what's important is to see it in the context of every other decision that you've taken which actually had been you know really good and that's what's driven the track record and uh, and yes. and, in the, and in that the, evaluation is really critical to make yeah well, it did. It was critical and, because in their case, yeah. it, it solved the problem. It was a very yeah. simple device, but it solved the problem. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I read this book um, about communication, and what it said is that when you are going into an argument, when you've got a problem with somebody, you need to decide, is this a one-off? So let's say, for example, uh, I walk into the kitchen and the dishwasher is not packed. And it's my my youngest teenage son who who's who's not done it. I need to decide at what level there is a problem. First of all, is this a one-off? Has he just not packed the dishwasher today? And if it's at that level, I don't have a, a, a major situation to deal with. The second level is that it may be a pattern that possibly he consistently does not pack the dishwasher. If that is the case, then I need to deal with this in a slightly elevated way. But there's a third level as well. And that third level is possibly he doesn't respect me. And then we've got more of a significant issue that we have to tackle. So, you know, at the one level, we've got this complete one-off. Second level, we've got a pattern. But at the third level, we've got some kind of systemic failure. And I think the same could apply if I'm to look at an error that I've made or a and, and maybe we can actually say there are four levels. If I get bad news, the first level of bad news is I've got nothing to do with this. You know, th- there's been an external economic shock. There's been some, some uh, political decision that has affected the markets. And it's actually nothing to do with me. And it's almost no further action required. The next level is if I've made a one-off mistake. And for sure, I need to pay attention to that. But there's not a lot that I need to do apart from acknowledging the mistake and thinking about how I'm not going to make that mistake again. If I've made a pattern of errors, then that's slightly more significant. That would be level three. And finally, level four is if I am lacking a skill of some kind, if I lack some fundamental insight or some fundamental ability, then this is more of a big deal. And that's something I've got to tackle as well. You know, I I think in that case, Rick, where where you you had a client who'd made a one-off um, it was quite useful to identify what level of problem that was, what level of bad news that was, and then continue. That's right, and 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 to broaden it, of course, when it becomes in in a minority of cases, when it actually becomes a real problem for the individual emotionally yes. and psychologically, they're going yes. from one to four in a single step, and they're right. not understanding yeah. that actually the poor performance could have been because of one of the other three. You know, and, and helping people understand that it could just be one of the other three, and that really yeah. the world isn't collapsing around their ears, and that actually yes. they've just got to stay focused and and carry yeah. on. 
And, and that's the thing with bad news is you have to actually correctly analyze what the bad news is saying. And, you know, that, that really was the case in that specific instance is that this was not a comment on a pattern of behavior. It was not a comment on a fundamental ability. It was just an error. And yeah, what I will um, say is that human beings, we tend to, we tend to overread. So we, we tend to read even things that have got nothing to do with us as being somehow our fault. We tend to overread one-off errors as being part of a pattern, and we tend to read patterns as being some kind of fundamental flaw. Um, and often we just need to push ourselves in the other direction. That reduces the emotional impact of, of the bad news. And the other thing that it does is that when we realize that something has just been a one-off error, or even when it's had nothing to do with us, to come back to a point that you made earlier, it enables us to maintain our protocols, to keep our procedures. Because apart from the negative emotional impact, the other biggest danger of bad news is that you change procedures that are actually good procedures. And on a serious note, the world of finance is really very poor at providing anything in the way of a safety net for when problems right. occur. Right. And I've seen over these 40 plus years, really talented people just losing it and walking away. And okay. they've walked away just simply, and what a waste that is. They've walked away right. because they because there's been no, there's been no help to actually get them to sort of see this problem, whatever problem okay. it was that they were facing at the time, which is very often performance related, is that to see it yeah. in the context of which you outlined. And then, you know, more positively, you and I have worked on situations where, you know, we have helped people actually understand that it's really not as bad as they think. And actually yeah. that there is a different way of looking at the problem and that that, that it will pass but it does require yeah. them to see the context. It requires them to focus and it gets them to sort of think think in the way that they thought before they hit the performance problem. And it's possible to see the bad news for what it really is in, in, the, corrupt, in the correct dimension. So you can see where the bad news is actually coming from. Is this an external problem? Is it an internal problem? But also we can see it in the right degree, which is how much bad news is this? How significant a problem is this? And I think, Rick, you know, when, when we go in and talk to clients, we're both very interested in psychology. We're both very interested in uh, in values. We're interested in the good life. We're interested in what makes people happy. We're interested in relationships and communication. So, you know, when we walk in and, and, and interact with clients, often we're talking about uh, psychological principles, but also we're both interested in data and we're interested in the facts. There's nothing better with bad news, and there can be a, a, a often the, there's an understandable response to bad news that you just don't want to look at it. You kind of want to stick your head in the sand. Where actually, when you use the facts, that's when you can discover often that the bad news isn't quite as bad as it initially seemed. And I think that's where both of our data science background comes in. That as well as supporting somebody psychologically, we can actually support them with the facts. I think that's absolutely critical. I think otherwise it, it becomes a bit of a hand-holding exercise. I think yeah. that, that ability to use the data to stand back from the problem and see it for right. what, and see it for what it is is immensely helpful. Yeah, you know, it's it's odd yeah. that it's odd that that data could be used in this way, which is normally seen as sort of cold and analytical. But actually, you're absolutely right. Having 
having the data and the information to put the problem into some sort of context and then to yeah. provide some sort of help or pointers or framework for working through it absolutely. has proved to be yeah. absolutely has proved to be absolutely critical and beneficial yeah and it's it is framework on, yes yeah because the framework gives us confidence it gives us security yes and you know data d- d- data analytics and you know it's it's developed a bit of a bad name you know it can be used and abused and get people to do things that they wouldn't otherwise do but you know in in this particular context it has been very beneficial because it's helped people see, see the problem in the right context and give them focus for sort of looking uh, looking beyond it well thank mm, you tim yeah. i mean this has been you know this has been a good one we've dealt with a really important topic of how people get through difficult p- patches and universal and, topic as well and universal as well yeah.